very good morning to all who are present here, as well as to our brethren and friends who are dialing in from uh, your respective homes. You know, I, I, I was just reflecting that a year ago, about this time, uh, I, I also preached a, a sermon, and that, that resulted in me resting for quite a few months. I, I lost my voice yeah, and, and uh, spent some time in hospital. So how time flies. Today is uh, almost a year now since, since that event. And what I appreciate from the episode is, is you know, the gift of voice. A lot of us take it for granted. Uh, you'll find that I can't speak too loud and sometimes my voice is a bit coarse and low. Um, resulting from, from, from that, that episode and it's still uh, in a small way troubling me. I, I hope that you are able to hear me, especially those uh, from, from who dialing from afar. Yeah? So today, this morning, I'm continuing on this, uh, the theme, uh, the series of lessons on uh, meat for the master's use. Uh, two weeks ago, Brother Elvin uh, shared a sermon, uh, ready for every good work. And last week, Brother Zhang Kun, on another topic within the same theme, fleeing youthful passions of youthful lust and pursuing godly traits. Now, both sermons were taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 21 to 22, where a worker of the Lord cleanses himself of dishonor. And the purpose is towards becoming a vessel that is useful for the master, the master's use. Today, I'm continuing on this uh, theme. And the the lesson is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, read to us so well by Brother Kelvin. We, we all know what dispute is, right? Dispute has or disagreement has been around since the beginning of time, of man's existence, right? A, a, a source or a cause of conflict and uh, divisions. It has affected families, it has affected society, nations. You know, the world has been torn apart because of unresolved uh, misunderstanding, disagreement, and dispute. And we also read uh, in the Bible accounts of dispute that led to bloodshed and uh, prolonged conflicts. And uh, this, this happened even among family members. And we, we, we have the account of Cain's and Abel, uh, Esau and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, uh, as well as the brothers in the story of the prodigal son, between others like King Saul and David, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Philemon and Onesimus. Yeah. So disputes could come about because of differences in ideology, opinions, in interpretation, you know, of contractual terms of or the person's uh, one person's deeds, a breakdown in communication, lack of respect, change of economic and commercial circumstances, differing views of underlying facts, jealousy, and the list go on and on. And I'm sure every one of us have personally experienced or encountered or have seen right, uh, minor differences that resulted in major problems in life. The wisdom in verse 23 is obvious. Yeah. Foolish and unlearned or ignorant disputes can result in strife, can in result in prolonged challenges, difficulties, 
and, and, and such dispute can be resolved oftentimes by the party just sitting down, understanding each other, taking, talking things over soberly. And if they cannot do that, perhaps with the help of an intermediary, a friend, professional, or a member, a senior member of the church. And the Bible do provide, does provide many ways in which disputes can be resolved leading to a favorable outcome. And such avenues must be exhausted, must be you know, examined and used before the grievous member resort to external parties for intervention. Now, in the case of Paul and Mark, you know, there was a bit of misunderstanding, right, by, uh, between Paul and Mark because Mark, uh, you know, had forsaken them to return back to Jerusalem after the first missionary or during the first missionary journey, right? They were able to lay aside their differences over a passage of time because that passage of time brought the realization that, you know, perhaps there was a misunderstanding, right? Perhaps it was just a difference of opinion. That resulted in the cause of conflict. Now, in the case of Philemon and on and on these slimmers, right, a poor mediated and their relationship was restored. This morning we shall look into why we should not even allow such disputes to, to take place. Or if they do, do not allow it to worsen, but to facilitate reconciliation. You know, Paul mentioned that sometimes disputes are necessary. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, Paul wrote that it has a role to identify errors. He says that for them must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. And so the Greek word for factions is isma. Right, referring to differences or division, depending on the version of translation, essentially referring to dispute. Paul says that they are necessary in order that some errors and, and, and division can be identified and not allowed to fester or to infect others. Differences will always be here. The Bible provides us with clear instruction and direction on how we can best handle them. An example is found. In two verses later, right, we are today at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Two verses later, in uh, chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says that we need to correct those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And we do so in humility, correcting them with the purpose of helping them to understand or to know the truth, and then bringing about their repentance, thus saving a soul. And this morning, we shall consider a class of disputes that perhaps are of less significance, not those that bring about understanding of who are in error, but those, the disputes that are discouraged because they are minor, yeah? they are foolish, or they are ignorant, or they are unlearned. These, these disputes are frivolous. right? They have no major importance, importance but prolonged engagement can lead to negative circumstances. And you will break quarrels, and then it creates strife. This dispute can be about something rather trivial, as in small, but made to be important. And oftentimes, 
things that are small, things that are insignificant, that are ex expedient, are made to be weightier. And the consequences are extended rivalry, quarrels that divide and cause harm. Or some even between members of families, between husband and wife. You know, this this one of the West, uh, 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 in the West, uh, reason for divorce is irreconcilable differences. Sometimes the differences can be over minor matters. Yeah. So it can cause strife. Strife comes from the Greek word makos, yeah, which uh, is defined um, as bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension. That is in, from Merriam-Webster. And in the Cambridge English Dictionary, it defines as violent or angry disagreement. Oftentimes, it's about speculation and about fruitful and unproductive quarrels. Yeah? And you know that these are worthless and they are not to be encouraged because it leads to ungodliness. I want to share two, two simple or short accounts of foolish conflict. Yeah? One is the account of Joseph and his brother's jealousy of him because they despised Joseph's dream because he was favoured also by their father Jacob. In one of the dreams, Joseph told his brother, he said, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. Right? When suddenly my sheaves rose and stood upright, while your sheaves all gathered around mine and bowed down to me. And his brothers took offense. Yeah? They said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him the more because of his dream and what he said. Already they, 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 they hated him because the father favoured him. But now they hated him the more. And all this account can be found in Genesis chapter 37, verses 6 to 8. Their jealousy of Joseph was so strong that they were willing to murder him. And actually, if you look at it from today's perspective, right, uh, a dream is just a dream. Perhaps it may convey a message. Perhaps it was, uh, uh, like in, in the time of Joseph, it foretells the future. But oftentimes, if I were to share a dream with you, it is just a dream, right? It is nothing significant or material. And because of that, they decided what to do, you know? They wanted to at first murder him, but decided to sell him instead into slavery and convince. And they lied to the father that... Uh, the father Jacob that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And they had to live with this guilt for a long, long time. We, we, we know that they live with this guilt because they regretted when, you know, during the time of famine, the brothers went to Egypt uh, seeking to buy some grains and Joseph recognized them and Joseph put them, you know, come up with a plan to, to make them be convicted. Uh, put them in a prison for three days pretending to... to, to to, to be hard with them, but the idea is for them to go back and bring the youngest brother to, to see him because Benjamin was not with them. Yeah? But the other one, the other one, the, the other example is the dispute between Paul and Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was the one who introduced or persuaded uh, Paul to be accepted by the disciples in Jerusalem. Right? Uh, that is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And, and as a result of Barnabas' persuasion, right, Paul had fellowship with the, with the brethren in Jerusalem. 
And, and this blossomed into a wonderful relationship between Paul and Barnabas. Yeah? And, and therefore, it is rather sad when we later on read that there was an eventual falling out. And the eventual falling out is not because of Barnabas, but because of Mark. Right? On the first missionary journey, as I said just now, John Mark, who is a cousin of Barnabas, of course, there were some ties and maybe some, some good relationship and understanding was with them. And along the way, however, John Mark decided to return to his home in Jerusalem. Right? Now, Paul then was planning his second missionary journey. And then he was discussing this with, with Barnabas, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark along. But Paul resisted the idea. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 41, there, the Bible says that there was a sharp contention between them, so much so that they split up. And then thereafter, we do not read of them, these two remarkable men coming together again. Their disagreement was not about doctrine, right? It was a personal dispute based on the judgment call. To their credit, Paul and Barnabas did not allow the conflict to distract them from their respective duties, their efforts in preaching the gospel. They continued their good works and accomplished much for the Lord. And so what happened is Barnabas took Mark, Paul took Silas, and years later, years later, Paul changed his mind about Mark. Right? In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says that Mark is now a useful worker in the Lord. He, he asked Timothy to bring Mark and with, with him, right? For he is useful to Paul for ministering. The, the separation did not min, diminish the love of Paul for Barnabas as well. Yeah? Paul would later affectionately mention Barnabas as worthy of his wages, of the monetary support in his work in proclaiming the gospel that is found in first. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Today, you and I, we can succumb to similar foolishness if we are not careful. On matters such as free choice, right, whether it is food, whether it is attire, whether it is lifestyle, on matters such as politics, on matters such as to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, on matters such as which vaccine has the better advocacy, Right? on matters of religion, on matters of expediency. On such subject, I think it's, it's wise for us sometimes just to, to minimize or to avoid them because it can become emotional. It can be unending and it can affect, affect our relationship and hurt one another. I have one uh, experience when I was talking to someone uh, many years ago of another another uh, race, right? And and I we were talking on the subject because it's just before the general election on the subject of politics. And I say, you know, oftentimes between our own, uh, sometimes we business people and all friends and colleagues, we do discuss a bit of politics, right? Politics of the day, lah. I say, do you uh, discuss this with your friends or with your family members? You say, I can't discuss. Very difficult for us to discuss. So why? Because say, my mother is with. One, one political party, my father, another political party, my brother, another political party, and when we sit down and talk together and we talk about it and we quarrel. So they never discuss. Maybe it's wise not to discuss. 
just let it be because it's personal preference. So he asked not to be quarrelsome. Paul learned the hard way, you know, he learned firsthand uh, what disputes can do to friendship, right, from his disagreement with Barnabas. And so he writes from experience in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, he advised Timothy to avoid foolish disputes. And in verse 24, he says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle. Similarly to Titus, right? He said, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and striving about the law. They are unprofitable and useless. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Titus also must avoid foolish dispute. Arguing about certain issues may not be profitable to a Christian, yeah, to our lives. And Paul took it so seriously. He took it so seriously that in verse 10, he commands uh, Titus, he said, completely cut off a divisive person after the second admonition. Titus was commanded to avoid contention, strife, or quarrel. He is not to be known as someone who is argumentative. And the Bible gives many accounts, many uh, instructions to contend for the faith, right? to give a reason and to persuade those who disagree on certain major matters, especially doctrine. But striving about foolish and ignorant dispute, it is something totally different altogether. It is not arguing for the sake of argument. So last week, brother, Sankun, on a prior verse, right, shared a lesson on the need for Timothy to flee and to pursue. What he must flee from? He must flee from things that are unprofitable. Right? And he ought to pursue things that are good, things that are righteous, things that are of faith, of peace, and of love. And elsewhere, in verse 16, Paul instructs Timothy to shun profane and idle babblings. Shun. Keep, your, keep away. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul also says that reject or refuse profane and old wives' fables. And then, Fast forward to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, the worker of the Lord is to purge or to cleanse oneself from dishonor. Notice the verbs that are being used here in, in, this, in the behavior that is, uh, you know, to, to behave by Timothy, right? He, he is required to shun, to purge, to flee, to refuse, right? All indicating the importance of avoidance, right? That avoiding is a vital tactics to be employed in Timothy's successful ministry. And so Paul once again reminds Timothy in verse 23, he said, avoid shallow, foolish, ignorant, or pointless bickering. And he, as, as what he warned in 16, shun these things. The result of these unworthy arguments is that they will lead to more and more arguments. He said Christian brothers, sisters against each other for very poor reasons. Paul, in 1 Timothy, taught leading men in the church to pray without wrath, to pray without anger or without disputing. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He taught elders not to be quarrelsome. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. And he taught that the sign of false teachers was their obsession with disputes and arguments over words. 
words that create strife. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. And so Paul's command followed several injunctions. He reminds God's people, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the reign of hearers. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. To shun profane and idle families, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We just covered that in verse 16. Yeah? And this theme is also found in his other writings. In Romans chapter 13, verse 13, Paul says, Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in reverie, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife and envy. And we ought to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubting things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, Paul says, I fear that there be contentions among you, jealousies and outbursts of wrath. So, we need to remember that there is enough warnings and instruction in the Bible for us to be wary of contentions or disputes that are not profitable and of such we ought to avoid or to stay away. Let me give an example of an ignorant dispute. Right? One of the concerns for us all as Christians are those members who are not mindful of their individual, their personal lack of knowledge in the scripture and they want to speak their mind and look smart. They champion those who are marked or they continue to fellowship with those who are in opposition without fully realizing their mistakes or their own lack of knowledge. And some question without wanting to hear the truth. And so they create confusion and they cast assertion. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 to 33, the Sadducees were asking Christ, uh, Jesus a question concerning. The resurrection. Now, in the times of Moses, the tradition is that if a man who is married died, right, and there was no children to his marriage, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring for on his behalf for him. So the Sadducees came to Jesus because the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. And so they thought they are very smart. They tried to corner Jesus and ask him a question. He said, Now there were seven brothers, right? And, and, and each in turn took, took the first wife as their wife, and none of them had any children. Right? And last of all, the woman also died. Therefore, in the resurrection, they asked Jesus, Whose wife of the seven shall will she be? For they all had her. And so Jesus answered them you know, in verse 29 to 30. He says, he says that you are mistaken not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The Sadducees asked an ignorant question, and this is an example of an ignorant question. They could have gone into a dispute, but fortunately for them, they realized their, 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 their stupidity, isn't it? And they, they kept quiet after, the, after that. So foolish speculations and self-invented theories can create problems. And that is what caused Hymenaeus and Philetus 
to depart from the faith. We will we'll talk about shortly. They denied the future resurrection of the body. Today, there are many who continue to pursue certain positions, certain line of thought without deeper understanding or knowledge of the scripture. Essentially, they take verses out of context and they promote a practice or an interpretation that is inconsistent with the rest of the scripture. And they continue to defend the error. Of such, Paul says, avoid them. Yeah. This, this, this is the thing, isn't it? And especially when it comes to foolishness, right? Should we answer a fool or should we just keep quiet? And the, the, the book of Proverbs is very interesting. In chapter 26, there are two verses, one after another. And they seem to convey a message that is rather contradictory, isn't it? Verse 4 says that do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him, be like the fool. And then the next verse, it says that answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What exactly was Solomon saying? Now, to, for us to better understand these two proverbs, I think it's helpful for us to refer to one other scripture, which is uh, taken from chapter 29, verse 9. Right? If a wise man contends with a fool, right? so if you want to be wise and, and you understand the concept of uh, verse 4 and verse 5, right? if you decide to contend with the foolish man, understand that whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. So how do we interpret these three verses now? The lesson to be drawn is this. Fools are unreasonable. And it is not, pos not possible to reason with them. They will either mock or get angry at your reason reasoning, however wise it may be. And there could be no peaceful resolution of the disagreement. But that does not mean that you should leave the fool unanswered. Because then he would think that he is right and he boasts about it and infect other people. And so, because fools cannot be reasoned with, right? And you know that you cannot win an argument with one. If you try, verse 4 says to you, appear as foolish as him. And that he will drag you down to his level. So how? Does it mean that we should always follow that voice in Proverbs, you know, 26 verse 4? In answering the fool? I think the answer is yes and no. Right? As we can see, right? Right in the... In, in, Verse 4 and 5. If the dispute is about something unimportant, something that is unprovable, you cannot prove whether it's right or wrong or you know, whether it's wise or unwise, the best thing for you to do is let the fool remain foolish and avoid the quarrel. But if it's on important matters, then there, there is a ground, there's a reason for you to, you know reason with him, in order to bring him to the knowledge of the truth. And this is particular truth of the gospel, isn't it? If someone comes along and tries to make belittle our religion, however foolish you think that person is, right, there is a need for us to defend, to give a reason for the faith that is in us. And we are instructed to preach the gospel to every creature, including fools, isn't it? No exception for them. 
false. Paul had mentioned before, right, that he was an ignorant person. You know his character, right? He he is one who was formerly a blasphemer. In First Timothy chapter one verse thirteen, he says that I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. An insolent man is someone who is unrighteous, who is arrogant, who is rude or contemptuous. Yeah? He says, but then I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So from, from, from Paul's perspective, he, because of his ignorance, he did what he did. But when the truth was revealed to him, he was able to see it, recognize and appreciate it. And he transformed himself from an unrighteous person to one who is full of grace, full of love, full of faith. And he attributed it to the grace of God. The grace that is exceedingly abundant, he says, and from which he obtained mercy and was given a second chance. And when the second chance was given to him, he then became a pattern for those who will believe subsequently in our Lord. So, should we, should we confront or should we tackle errors when it is preached on important matters such as errors? There is a need for us to address it, right? There's a need for us to remember the teachings of Paul, the warnings to Timothy. Yes, he is not to be drawn into foolish disputes that produces strife, right? Yes, there are some people that argue about just everything, about useless matters. And yes, there are people that desire to be teachers of the law, but they understand neither what they say nor the things that they affirm to, as mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. But then, Paul told Timothy that he also had to take charge and teach those who are in opposition. Right? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I urge you, when I go into Macedonia, when I went to Macedonia then, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they preach no other doctrine. That means, if ever someone were to teach a doctrine that is alien, you are responsible to bring them to accountability. Timothy has to correct those who have strayed from the faith and turn aside to idle talk. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Yeah? For himself, Call up names of those false teachers in both letters to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 9, chapter 1, verse 19, the second part, and verse 20, he convicts false teachers so that they learn not to blaspheme. And he, he called out the name of uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Both, he said, suffer shipwreck, shipwreck of faith. And he delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme, not to defame the name of Christ, not to lie about the truth or, or to speak errors. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, Paul says that this false message of them can spread like cancer. And again, he made reference to Hymenaeus. And he added one additional person, which is Pilatus. 
they have straight concerning the truth. And what 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 did they stray from? They say that the resurrection is already past, and in so doing, they overthrow the faith of some. In preaching the word of God, Timothy is to convince, right? He is to persuade, he is to exhort, encourage, but he is also to rebuke with all long suffering and teaching. Timothy must not be a pushover. Although he may be young in faith, right? Paul asked him to stand up to the faith, and he, will, he is not to stood up. To, to, to being abused or to being, you know, uh, belittled. Paul told Timothy to wage a good warfare, to fight the good fight of faith, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus. There are truths that we as Christians must defend or must contend. False teachers will try to sneak in secretly and lead people astray away from the truth and into destruction. And therefore, we must expose them if of their errors if salvation is hung in the balance. And so in verse 25, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says this in continuing the, the message. He says, In humility, correct those who are in opposition to the truth so that they have an opportunity to repent. And in verse 26, that they may come to their senses. There's a need for us to strike a good balance when it comes to dealing with this field. And we must recognize them for what they are, whether it's foolish or whether it's something to, for us to take seriously. And the perfect example is found in Jesus, right? Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, right? Where he was, you know, uh, faced with a lot of situations. And his ministry provides us with many examples of the very ways in which he deals with people. Jesus voiced, you know, very disgusting condemnation of the religious leaders of his day. And yet he gently corrected Martha. Children were able to come to him and he took them all in his arms. But when the soldiers came to him, right, they they fell back in fear just because Jesus said that I am He. His reputation preceded Him. He was gentle in His conversation with the Samaritan woman, yet He did not allow her to escape or to avoid the accountability of her, of her promiscuous life. You know, she later admitted that this man told me all things that I ever did. In John chapter 8, Jesus was in the middle of teaching his disciples when some scribes and Pharisees came, right? They, they interrupted him and posed a question to Jesus with a view of testing him and hoping to accuse him of something. And despite the interruption, Jesus took it silently. You know, he was writing on the sand with his fingers. They asked him a second time concerning what he would do if the woman whom they brought along caught in adultery, right? What he would do. And upon this second time, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. 
Jesus did not have to give a lengthy, you know, debate or rebuttal. One sentence to silence them all. Well, none of us, none of us may measure up to the perfection of Christ. We can endeavor to be more like Him, having a deeper awareness of the specific spiritual needs of members, of people, of individuals around us, and understanding the scripture more, better, so that we are able to discern concerning what is true, what is error, what requires our action, and what do not. As servants of the Lord, let us not be confrontational, but in meekness, instruct those who are in error, in order perhaps that they may recognize the truth, repent, and be saved. You know, I, I think there's wisdom, and, and we know there is, uh, when, the, when the scripture uh, decided or instructed us to appoint elders in plurality in numbers, but that means more than one. Yeah. I think the wisdom is that, uh, that the interest of the church is more important than the interest of the individual. And so when you have more, more than one as an elder, there is this, uh, this, this concept of discussion, this concept of collective decision. Yeah. But in, 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 in a church like, like KK, when you just have two elders, actually I, I must say that opportunities of conflict or dispute is always there. Yeah. So the, the need is for the elders to be understanding, to be to 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 reflect upon their their personal opinion whether it matters or do not matters, and do not allow the opinions to come in the way of the interests of the church. And that's how Sanko and I we function, you know. At the end of the day, yes, sometimes we may have personal preferences in in the way we do things, or in in, 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 in perhaps, you know, uh, the way we speak, but ultimately the greater interest of the church comes comes into you know importance, and then we do not allow ourselves to to dispute over these small differences because it, it doesn't matter. We need to live peaceably with all. Strife and contentions will always be here in our society, and we know that those are contrary to peace. And so last week, Brother Chanko shared a little bit about peace as well, isn't it? on the need for us to pursue peace as light through the world. We are to be different. We are not to promote strife, but to be peacemakers. To let our light so shine that others may see the good in us, the good deeds that we perform. And then we glorify our Father in heaven. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need to live peaceably with all men, with all people. And this includes our brethren as well as others. Christians are taught to be different from the world. The world may pursue fame and fortune. We are told to pursue righteousness, contentment, godliness. The world seeks after revenge, an eye for an eye. We are told to love our enemies. The world do the very minimum, we go the second mile. The Beatitudes that Jesus taught promotes blessedness, blessedness of even poverty, of mourning, of meekness, of persecution. These are contrary to the pleasures and the aspiration of the world. In James chapter 3, verse 18, right, 
James wrote about the work of peacemakers, saying that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who make peace, they will sow the fruit of righteousness. And Paul affirms in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, he says that therefore let us pursue peace, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things that may edify another. In the earlier verse, in chapter 12, verse 18, right, as shown in the, the picture on, on the screen, if it is possible, in as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And so this command recognizes that conflicts may sometimes be unavoidable, right? As, assuming that if, if it is compromising of the truth or the commands of God, then we know that, you know, such peace may, may, may not be possible and you need to defend and the choice no longer depends on you. But when it is possible, when it depends on you in as much as you can do so, right, you ought to pursue and make peace and avoid strife. And so, brethren, this morning I covered uh, several key, key topics that there may be times when disputes are necessary so that the errors can, can be known, but do not engage in foolish disputes because it can lead to strife, violent disagreement. And I gave two examples of foolishness, in, uh, foolish dispute, that of Joseph and his brothers, as well as perhaps uh, between Paul and Barnabas, and, and both ended up regretting what they did. We are not to be quarrelsome because Christians are to be gentle, to pursue peace. We, I also gave you an example of something uh, that is ignorant, that we should not lead to disputes. And that was the Pharisees' question about the marriage of the seven uh, brothers, right? And also whether we should answer a fool according to his folly or should not answer. And when it's important, we need to confront those who teach error. And the best is, of course, to strike a balance like Jesus Christ. Yeah? And finally, to pursue peace uh, if it's at all possible. Brethren, the central theme from this, all these sermons is to prepare ourselves to be useful for the Master. And this usefulness includes our good example. Right? For us to be identified as people of God, men of faith, of love, of peace, that we are righteous, that we are sanctified, so that at the end of the day, from our good works, you know, we shine forth as God's good workers. And as proof, and, and a proof worker, we are also to diligently study the scripture so that we can rightly divide the word of proof. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27. The Living Bible translation has this. It says, An idle hand, or idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. Those who are idle, they end up making mischief. Too much time in their hands. But the busy men, they don't have time for foolishness. Yeah. So in, in addition to avoiding foolish and ignorant dispute, we must always keep ourselves busy. 
busy about the work of the Lord, busy about the Lord's business. And this includes serving the church, studying the scripture, encourage, encouraging each other in the faith, visiting those who are in need, visiting the sick, devoting time in prayers, keeping company with the faithful, and you know, evangelizing or reconciling with those that we have disagreement with on minor matters. And if we continue to dwell in the positive, we have no time for the negative. I trust that this morning's lesson is able to throw some light on another aspect of how we can be useful for our Master. And I wish to end with this exhortation to all of you that God may give you all sufficiency in all things and that you may abound in every good work. Thank you for your kind attention. The song of encouragement has been chosen that we all arise and sing.